Strategically, it was a splendid idea, but it was vulnerable because it was not fully manned. That meant that while Rommel was heavily engaged at Bir Hakim and killing British armour off piecemeal in the cauldron, German and Italian sappers were clearing a way through the solid minefield halfway along the forty-mile course. This led German reinforcements through, and the trap laid for Rommel in the cauldron was aborted. From that moment, the Eighth Army was faced with a Dunkirk. Everyone would have to get out quick or be put in the bag. The infantry dug in securely in the north were outraged. The battlefield was to become a World War I Mons, with thousands of men able and ready to fight, moving westward to Benghazi, but forced instead under orders to retreat eastwards. At Gazala, we came under merciless shellfire day in and day out, some of the shelling coming from 210 millimeter Italian naval guns. The ways that men dealt with incessant bombardment of their dug-in positions were legion. There was no recommended procedure laid down in an army manual. If your brain could still respond, you made yourself smaller, crouching or drawing your knees up to your chest, trying to get your face into your own lap. In the end, it didn't matter too much what you did with your body, because it was your mind which was suffering. In despair, it was liable to pick itself clean of all relevances except the malignant process of the bombardment itself, just like picking at a bunch of grapes, until you have only the bared stalk left with its sad little points where the grapes had once held on to their sanity. The grapes were the things you valued in your life. Somehow you had stored them in the spare rooms of your militarized mind, loved ones, even those you detested, if they could hold your attention. Fragments of poetry, whole tracts of it even, paradise lost appropriately, if you were lucky, not in a flowing stream like Virginia Woolf, or as Milton's fabled, mythical and elusive scenarios. And through the long days, even weeks of shelling, you shook them out with every cannonade again and again, until the mind became slowly or quickly threadbare, and all you had left then were its rags and tatters of barrage and bombardment. You retained, then, only by the skin of its teeth, the skeletal stalk of cause and effect. The cause could be isolated by your assaulted senses, driven inwards by a hostile world, and now sharpened just to detect the baboom of the particular gun that had your range closest. Then came the whisper and slither of approaching hell as it first licked its way through the ethers and begins to shriek as it closed in on the dust and smoky precincts of your fragile earthwork. Then the inevitable monstrous bang as it tried to marry with me and elope with the last vestiges of your consciousness. 
Usually it was only for a few hours at a time, but furious barrages could go on all night, pounding and crashing, so that the brittle stem of reason began to crumble. It was at this point, as a last resort, that I would start repeating my kindergarten times table, surrounding and defending my cringing sanity with its protecting lager. There were those who swallowed their dignity and made themselves as small a target as possible by merely sitting on the floor in a corner with their knees bent and grasped by their arms with heads bowed in their laps. That always reminded me of the war song popular at the time. Knees up, Mother Brown. Knees up, Mother Brown. Knees up, Mother Brown. If you don't get your knees up, you get the breeze up. Knees up, Mother Brown.